Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, uh, this is one of those We Have Ways where we're just going to we're gonna shoot the breeze, aren't we, Jim? Whatever's, yeah, I think so. I think floating, so. Floating through our transoms at the time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what my problem is at the moment? What? Is I can't, I can't get that that um, George Formby song out of my mind. It's really, really <laughs> annoying me. What the, we're all in the desert now. It's what fun that, in the Middle is. East. Yeah. In the Mediterranean. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. You know, I just, oh, just, it won't go. I <laughs> need to have sort of, you know, 50 minutes of concentrated highways to hell or highway to hell or something. And, and then that's maybe thanks go. to ro- Rogue Heroes, isn't it? Um, the, the, the Rogue Heroes. Rogue something. Heroes. <laughs> Desperados in the desert. Yeah. All um, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, it's just, I just, I can't shift it. What can you do? Well, I don't know. I, you know, you, you get, you, you get, any a worm, there's nothing you can do about it. And, you've, just I mean, to, you've just got to see it through, haven't you? You've got to see it through. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, are you... <laughs> um, and actually, we were supposed to be hooking up today, weren't you? And I've, yes. I've got you something really, really brilliant that I was going to oh, give you. Damn. But I'll have, oh. to, I'll have to wait till next time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need it's to not about... something you can put in the post. Okay. Well, well we, need to talk about, we need to talk about when we're going to do that. But um, uh, that, that's not a discussion that needs to be held in public on this podcast no. um no. Uh, so um i've just uh a, a bit of a milestone apart from the, the tour ending at the weekend is i have just completed reading with the jocks right mm. which i'd put in the can i put all but the last three ca- chapters in the can um la- this time last year and and i left the last three chapters figuring well you know <laughs> it'll be ages till this goes up i'll have plenty of time to get it done and then i had a message from Goldhanger saying you've only got um, a fortnight you need to get these recorded these last three chapters so this is the an audiobook peter white's account of the last year of the second last bit of the second world war um uh, as a subaltern with the um uh, fourth kosb anyway um uh if those of you know know and it's on the patreon as an audiobook anyway but the last three chapters are absolutely amazing because they are about the very end of the war and the very last stuff they do and the way he run, writes about it makes it in, it's incredibly vivid. The feelings they have as they're doing the very last stuff, and what do they do? And should they? How should they react? How should they react? What if they see someone in field grey? What do they do? The tension in it is unbearable. And there's this bit where they they they, they basically they sit outside Bremen. Bremen is then bombed Um, uh, because the mayor won't submit. And then they go in, they move into Bremen to take Bremen. 
And the right. two chapters around that are absolutely amazing. They go into Bremen at night and yes. they've got tanks with them and White is, White is basically complaining. The problem with the tanks is it's great that it's reassuring to have them there, but they make so much noise. You can't hear what's going on. You can't hear right. if the I enemy are reacting. You can't hear if they're all shouting to each other. You, you, you just can't tell what's going on. Yep. And then they, they get into the middle of Bremen and he finds this building that's essentially like a, it's a telephone exchange for the railway, at, for the Bahnhof in the middle of the city. Yeah. And it's got like two metre thick concrete walls, big steel doors, and he gets into it and yes. can't decide should he lob a hand grenade down the, down the, uh, down the passage and all this sort of stuff. He just, it's all this absolute fingernail stuff because they basically take Bremen without any casualties. There's, there's very little fighting. In fact, the, the worst thing that happens to them is rounds falling short on them from the, from the barrage that's sort of moving through the city in stages. And so there's the whole instant episode in Bremen, which is absolutely f- like fascinating because it's yeah, it's the end of the war. And then they move, then they move out on the second mm-hmm. of second of May. They yep. move out and they move out to n- northwest, of, northeast of Bremen, and they they put in, put in billets, and they're told to dig in and just be on stand to essentially for four days because they don't know what's happening. And then on the seventh of May, they're given this patrol to do, the battalion. And there, there's a there's a, an island of land that's spent you know that's two miles by two but, miles but, by but, three. But they've but, but the war's ended on the fifth. Yeah, but they don't know. They don't. Mm. They, it's not confirmed. It's not for sure, right? right. And there, and Hate Will Smith's got them on like absolutely take we take take no unnecessary risks, but also, you know, the enemy is still out there. So there's this portion of land that they're told they've got to go and clear. And this is on the seventh of May. They go out on it the, and they go out on patrol and. Um, uh, someone's colonel or major has been killed on the bridge by a mine on the jeep. In, 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 oh, he's in his jeep and he's blown up God. on the sixth. So they go. They, so they basically they do this thing where they sweep this sort of fenland, basically. Yes. And there's a bit, and it's six o'clock in the morning, and they see this woman running away from them, looking over her shoulder, right? And she's running, 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 and she's obviously seen them. And so there's a debate amongst the jocks, like, should they shoot her? Right. Um, and because, you know, she might be running ahead to tell the enemy that, that they're coming. Yeah. So he so he decides no, because that'll attract their attention as sure as anything else. You know, you, if you shoot her, they'll hear the report of the rifle um, uh, if there are any enemy out there. So so you negate the effect anyway. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So what? So there's no point. And also. He doesn't like the idea of shooting a woman in the back. The war's over. It must be, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they carry on. And what he's done in the meantime um, is he's gone to his co- he's gone to his company commander and he's he's put on the map, he's drawn uh, letters of the alphabet. It's square, he's squared it all off. So, he's, so he can radio back and go, we've gone through C now, we're into B. We've gone yep. into A. And they've moved their mortars up to a rail- railway station so they can have fire support because there's no artillery support for this sweep. Anyway, they they then they, they they keep going, and then they see two people in field grey, and they're like, and and the Bren gunner goes down, and, and and they're you know they're ready ready to take a pop at these blokes, and then they realise that they're, you know, and, he, and White describes holding trying to hold the binoculars steady because he's panting, and he's full of nervous energy because he's so full of nervous energy because it's the war, can't hold the binoculars straight, yeah, and has a good look, and he realises they're people in they're farmers in like Volkssturm, uh tunics so he let it doesn't 
decide to kill them. And at that point, the blokes all go, oh, thank God for that, sir. Because one of them comes over and he's got 25 eggs on him because they've been going through farms and houses and basically (laughs) searching the houses, right? And he says, sir... and the bloke goes, oh, well, thank God, you know, and, it, and, and it's all written in like sort of uh, kind of phonetic Scots in the in the book. He goes, thank God you didn't, thank God you didn't make us do uh, do an attack there, sir. I mean, it's not 35 eggs. We've 250. And they've basically, and they, all these, they're all these, all these soldiers with their smocks, their windproofs, full of eggs, like, like wow. you know, patrolling yeah, yeah, with yeah. all these eggs. Because they're basically a great long looting train. They're yeah. just loot, looting everything you get hands on. And then they go all the way round this thing, all the way round this island, you know, and there's a company going round, a platoon going round the edge, next platoon coming round, and they, they all meet back at the they all meet back at the rendezvous. The area's declared clear of, of Germans. And at this point, someone drives forward on a Jeep to collect the mortar bombs up over the bridge, and the Jeep is blown up by a mine on the bridge. And no. somehow the driver is only gashed on the head. And and White thinks that the driver's heard that there's that the war's over and is driving forward in his excitement to tell everybody. He thinks that might be the case, but he doesn't know. And then they find out the war's over and they, someone fires some flares off, some very pistols get fired off, a mortar parachute flare goes up and then the brigadier says, uh, that's enough of that, um, what, no discipline. What's your fire discipline? Go on, you know, there's still Germans out there. Behave yourselves, that'll do. And that's it. And, the, and, the, and he, so he says, so they spend this day of unbearable tension yeah. on this completely unnecessary patrol. And then the war ends and that's that sort of that. And there's no like, um, there's there's no party. There's some rum goes around, but there's no big party. And he's staying with his, his billet, you know, he's in a billet with his civilians. And the book, the book ends with the family, him and him trying to explain to the family what's going on, and there being this photo of a boy in Luftwaffe uniform that the mother's holding and crying and all this sort of stuff. And the book ends very movingly for that reason. But just the, his description of the last days when... Yeah, I mean, no one wants to buy it on the no. 6th, 7th, 8th of May. No, know? of course not. And, and, and they, all know, they all know perfectly well that the war's ending, or ended, but they, it's not official yet. And it's this sort of... And you wonder why that what they're even doing this patrol for. I mean, is it just to give them something to do? Because yeah. otherwise, everyone's going to twiddle their thumbs and maybe go looking for a rum ration. It's got that sort of uh, kind of army thinking in it. But it's it, it really made me think about because there's in quartered safe out here. There's that bit where they're on a patrol and this officer shouts, "Chaps, the war in Europe's ended!" And they all just like they all like laugh at him. The um, the the borderers that um, uh, you know that. Um, uh, George MacDonald Fraser's with they, they just think it's funny that anyone would care you know like absurdly funny that anyone would care and I th- all that stuff about the very last bit I think is so interesting because I agree because I, me- I remember talking to the Russian soldiers you know all those years ago we interviewed some Russians who talked about fighting in Berlin and you'd you know you'd break your way into another building and you'd think I hope there are no Germans in here because I don't you know I don't have to do any f- I don't want to fight anyone right because I might get killed yep and I don't really want to kill anyone because it's over, isn't it? You know, like the the sort of well, the, it's, the, it's it's a whole Wilfred Owen thing, isn't it? It's yeah. sort of you know, it, 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 it's terrible whenever you get killed. You know, whatever yeah, happens, course. it's terrible. But but it just seems more even more futile if you get killed just before it's about to end. Yeah, yeah. Once it's been signed off, because because yeah. this is the thing that they're out on the seventh of May. It's it's you know, it's done. It's over. It's done. It's over. It's completely done. 
It's it's. I mean, it is weird that they're still that they're still they're still patrolling and think don't know for sure. Well, the- yeah, and I, I I'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to know how many people are killed in Germany? You know, after the after it's all over. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because of mines, because of tripwires, because of. Well, I mean, it's it's unexploded ordnance everywhere, isn't it? It's it's everywhere, just absolutely everywhere. Mines, absolutely everywhere. Because he says that the mine that does for this jeep is a glass mine, so it it's you know that's the story oh they're all talking about. So it's undetectable, you know, rather than a wooden one, rather than wood. Absolutely telemine. horrendous. I I just can't imagine what it must have been like going through, you know, those. Germ- you know what? You know, you're expecting a scrap to get across the Rhine, right? I mean, yep. you know, whether you're American, whether you're British, Canadian, whatever. You know you're gonna you're in for a fight. But yeah. You've got across the Rhine, and then you've got the scrap on the other side of the Rhine, and then it's all over. You know, yeah. it, to, to all intents and purposes, it's done. Yeah. You know, so you're you're then having that big second surge. It's kind of sort of like post Normandy, where you've suddenly got the roads are kind of clear, but they're not clear because there's no. still people, you know, about to jump out from behind a tree, behind a building with a Panzerfaust, and all this kind of stuff, or let rip with a machine gun, or well, you know, cadet, whatever it might be. And it's all just, and, stuff, and it's all you know. just, one of the conversations we've had that sort of affected me deeply was that one we had with Tammy Davis-Biddle, where she was yeah. talking about the anxiety of the Allied commanders in the spring of 1945. You know, what if the Germans did develop a proper wonder weapon? Yeah. You know, w- w- what if we can't finish this quickly? Yeah. You know, then what does that affect, you know, what effect does that have on, Japan, you know, w- yeah. where does that leave us? And this sort of, because everyone's been with it for so long, you know, and even by this stage, you know, even the Americans too, you know, it, it's it's such a long, hard slog. Yeah. And that final winter in Europe, I think, has been so hard on so many different levels. You know, what happens if you just can't get rid of them? Yeah. You know, you yeah. just can't get this thing to end. And, and and everything you're seeing is is telling you contradictory things. Because on the yeah. one hand, you're it's saying this country is absolutely beaten. Well, this it's, description it's, it's of stuff. description I mean, of Bremen, it's like I mean, it's yeah, of, you co- know, of course, it's absolutely. It's been shattered, and it's full shattered. of di- it's full of displaced persons. It's full of DPs who are looting, and and the yep. Germans are all hiding in the air raid shelters under the yep. city, and the all DPs that. are running wild and. Even while the offensive's going on, so you've got there's one um, uh, instance yes. he describes where a 25 pound round falls short on the DPs looting the Barnhof, and people are injured, and then they just carry on looting. They're like, well, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We want, yeah. and and he says the the boiling hatred of the of the displaced persons for German Germany, all things German Germans. It's like he said, we don't, we actually don't know how to contain it. And they appeal to, they, they go down into the basement under the Barnhof and they find, he finds the, the, you know, the Bremen police chief or whatever and says, we need you to, do, we need you to restore order. And the guy goes, well, I, you know, I can't guarantee I'll be able to, to be able to do that. You're going to need to give me my pistol back if that's all right, if you want me to do that. But I, I don't know that that's possible. And it's just this sort of the sheer apocalyptic scene of it. And what's really interesting is, is um, two days they, so they they go into, they go into Bremen at night and and then there's this weird day where there's sort of sniping and a bit of mortaring and and all this sort of stuff but not much not much seems to happen and then the next day sort of thousands of German soldiers and Marines suddenly appear and surrender from all over the city because it's you know it's after Hitler's suicide so they've they've obviously 
decide a load of them have decided actually the game's up. But he says the interesting thing is he, you know is even late a, a, a week later you know that that you've got this you've got this thing of Germans who aren't in touch with what's going on who don't know what's happening who are holding out you know because it's it's um, Texel isn't it where there's plenty of fighting another. For another, for another yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like and, and of course, in, and, and famously or infamously, rather, in, in Prague as well. But the point yeah. I was going to make was, was that, you know, on the one, this is a paradox of a situation if you're fighting on the ground, because on the one hand, you've got this country which is completely beaten. You know, yeah. everywhere you go, there's total carnage. I mean, absolutely everything in, in, in normal life has just been turned upside down, you know, yep. collapsed buildings, telegraph wires all over the place, you know, decaying bodies, you know, the the rule of law all over the place, you know, people strung up from lampposts for desertion, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's it's just it's 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 the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And and yet on the other hand, you've still got people fighting. And and, and that makes it worse in a way because because it's so utterly pointless. Yeah. You know, if you if you've got a if you've got a fully functioning army and commanders and weapons and all the rest of it, you sort of there's a sort of crazy point where you sort of go, okay, fine, because you know you've actually got some skin in the game here. But but yeah. for Germans by kind of March beginning of March 1945, there's no hope. There's no yeah. hope. So if you're a British Tommy or an American GI or a Canadian or whatever you are, a Pole or whatever, you know, fighting clawing your way through Northwest Europe. You've you've got so many conflicting thoughts yeah. going through your mind. One yeah. one is fear and terror. Second one is we're so nearly through this. Clearly they're beaten, yeah. and yet they're not. Yeah. And 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 your caution about not wanting to push forward because you're so within the finishing line, but you don't want to get stumbled. Kind of you know a yard out from from the tape, you know that's telling you it's all over. Yeah. That's making you more cautious, which is then slowing you down, which yeah. is then extending it further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. so so it's, it's, it's it turns into sort of it's this this sort of totally horrendous, totally ghastly scenario. Yeah, which is made worse by the by everything you're witnessing all around you. This sort of mad world where everything has gone to pot. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you know, if you're Peter White, or if you're in the Sherwood Rangers, or any of these companies that are, and, and units that are pushing forward. It's just, it's horrendous. It's yeah. absolutely horrendous. Well, and, and, and and you can see why, you know, Tammy was, was saying what she was saying and, and why she felt that, that it's it's too easy to go, oh, well, of course they were beaten, you know, clearly, you know, you didn't yeah. need to start, you need, didn't need to kind of destroy Fort Syme. But you can see why, by why frustration, deep anger, resentment starts to creep into the Allied commanders because they're just thinking, "What are you doing? You know, why yeah. are you still fighting? Why are you still going on? You're absolutely screwed." And I think you can mark the moment where where it all goes. Basically, the Reichsbahn yeah. implodes in February 1945. Yeah, uh, and the Reichsbahn is is has been the glue for the for the Wehrmacht for for. for the Nazi regime's sort of fighting effort, yeah, because it's never had enough fuel. It's never I had mean, enough oil, but, but and so, so, but it has had coal than, far more than the outer bar, which is what people think is the yeah, yeah, yeah. The outer forget the outer bars. The outer bars are kind of you know they're, they're a red herring. Yeah. It's 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 the railways that are everything, and and there is a point where they've been so bombed, so destroyed, so so mashed, and their ability to get coal to the to the to the locomotives and to the railway stations to the uh, and all yeah. the rest of it is, is so limited that the Reichsbahn just implodes. It, it, it just cannot function at that that point it is absolutely 100% game up and what you're then dealt with is pockets but the problem with pockets is you can't the, the comms yeah. is really shaky yeah, yeah. 
and so you, you can't get be sure any, where any of them are and who they are and what their strength is because that's the thing he goes on and, and on about. That's when you get Outviler, you know that yeah. that was Outviler that 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 village that P- PCA wrote about so effectively in his yeah. book, where they where decide to fight. Well, they just keep fight because you've got a little sort of mini Hitler's in charge. You know, yep. he's the town mayor and or whatever it is, town leader, and, and you know he's a proper little Nazi, and, and you know he's not going to give up anytime soon. Except, of course, he does in the end. You yeah. know, after lots of people have been killed, and, and and what you get is this 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 splintering where, and from an Allied point of view, you don't know whether the Germans you're about to come up against in the next village are run by some little mini Hitler or whether they've actually given up the ghost and are going to put the white white towel yeah. out. I mean, yeah. y- you know, and again, it's that fear is, one's fears are greater when you don't know what's well, around the corner. The unknown always seemed worse than the known troubles. And so although we had a fairly shell-free night, our coming ordeal weighed more and more heavily on us with each passing hour. I feel that in part, this was because we each had almost dared to hope that the war might just consider, conceivably burn itself out before another turn for us to attack came round. Meanwhile, until this happened, we knew that the policy was to keep up maximum pressure on the enemy by day and by night to give him no recuperative rest. So that's the middle of uh, April. And, and, and yeah, absolutely. 45. And what's and what's the answer for this? You know, what, what, how do you how do you minimise risk? You minimise risk by bombing them ever harder, and shelling the shelling the shelling the crap, shelling out the shit out of them, everything yeah. you possibly can. We'll, we'll take a quick break. Um, we'll be back in a second. But this is a thought worth mulling on. I think. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. 
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And we're talking about, we're kicking around the idea of the end of the war and how actually that that not knowing feeds into some of the sort of sort of acceleration of destruction that, that, the, that the Allies take take to really in this yeah so i'm i'm not saying that the the the, the bombing of dresden and fort simon Würzburg, etc 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 is 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 right but i think it's i think one has to be incredibly careful about coming overly judgmental about yeah. decisions that were taken at the time because we weren't there we weren't living there we're not we weren't living through that period we weren't living about the risks we didn't have the you know we didn't have japan hovering in the background which was a kind of you know the end of that was was completely unknown as well um there's all sorts of things going into play. And if I was Peter White, I would want to know that that our bombers and artillery are doing the hard yard so that well, I don't have to. Well, he, but he describes, he describes because the German air effort is, in, is over, what you have is, um, you know, self-propelled guns driving up to the thing they have to flatten because they can, because they can operate in the open. They don't have And then to, flattening it. And then flattening it. They don't have to be the other side of the hill. And you see footage of that in Berlin as well, where they're, they're dragging heavy guns through the streets of Berlin and firing them over open sights at stuff because the Germans have no answer to that, but still need to be winkled out and killed and destroyed. I mean, the other thing, the other thing, of course, um, is that the, the very first topic of conversation the night that the war ends um, is, uh, uh, for the first time, a new topic. The chances of our being involved in, the, in attacks against the Japanese was bandied about. That as mm-hmm. soon as the war in Germany's ended, it the first thing his men are, talk- men are talking about is going to the Far East. Little did we realise how very near we were to this thought taking material shape a, a short while later. So they were earmarked to go. Um, and that in itself is the, is the other thing that's in the background yep. in the spring of 1945. Is, uh, you know, we're gonna, once we're finished here, we're going to have to move all of this effort to Japan, which is going to be an even, even tougher nut to crack. Well, I think that's an incredibly um, pers- uh, persuasive argument. The, 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 the sort of long shadow of the war against Japan, and and you know, one of the things I think we, we you know, you and I have started to realise over the last year or so is just how Japan second isn't really Japan second. It's no. it's it's it's. it's it's Japan a hair breadth behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I've just been, I've just been. We'll, we'll save this one, but I, you know, I've just been reading up on on Saipan and the and the Battle of the Philippine Sea in June 1944, and you know, it is it is just staggering yeah. the logistics of it. Yeah, and the amount of shipping shipping involved, and 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 how much has to be. You know, yeah. laid aside and prepared, and all the rest of it. You know, whilst concurrently put it carrying on a war in Italy, carrying a war all along a very, very long Western Front. Yeah, you, you know, the Western Front now is going all the way from from the Baltic all the way down to you know the Alps. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's a decent stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, the the thing, but I mean, it's it is it is this. I mean, you, I think in a way, had had Japan collapsed earlier, um, w- would we be talking? 
retrospectively about Japan second. Do you know what I mean? Because because the I know I know that's the the official name of the policy. But you look at the naval effort, the American naval effort is 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 colossal. I mean, it's very interesting though because White's Battalion, the Fourth KOSB, they get broken up, or rather, a yep. chunk of them get transferred to First Battalion KOSB, who are part of Three Div, and then they're to be they're to be sent to Florida, um, to be shipped re-equipped by the Americans, trained in jungle warfare, and then shipped to the Pacific. And basically, he said, uh, he says, you know, when the atom bombs fall, he says, how we wished we had reached America before this happened. We might have had a lengthy holiday. The complete end of the war came as rather an anticlimax, for now we knew it would be a year or more before we reached our turn for demob. So then he sent to Egypt and Palestine. Wow. So, the, wow. so, you know, this idea that this idea that the war ends in May 1945... Couldn't be further for, for men's military experience. Couldn't be further for the truth. And I've just been, I've just been reading um, Alan Allport's book, Demobbed, about the end of the war, which is oh yes, people going home, which is absolutely fascinating. Well, and, that's a whole subject, isn't it? Well, and you know what? I was because 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 um, well, there's one guy really, in it. Really he's, fascinating. He, he's got a he's got a really interesting. You know, he follows a bunch of people. There's a guy called John, John Frost. I mean, he's not not John Frost of. Um, uh, two power fame, but he's a, he's a I think he's a soldier, and he and he starts to really love the life of irresponsibility because a lot of a lot of what the men talk about is being it being in the services. You have no responsibilities apart from the things you've got to do. You yes. don't you don't have any rent. You don't um, have to. No food appears. Pay the bills. Uh, food to find. You do as you're told. Someone else is responsible for you, right? And and you and and the, 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 in a strange way, it's quite a it's. A lot of men find it really like like a life of strange freedom. Once you've adapted to it, it's like a life you can sort of. I just want to be led. Just be. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You know, like. Um, yeah. And there's a sort of freedom in that. It's really yeah. interesting. So this guy after the war, and he's he works in a city firm. This guy called Frost. He decides to, he wants to become a bus conductor instead. Doesn't want to go back to the city. He wants to be a bus conductor, work on the buses because that's a, like a free life where all you got to do is work on your bus. That's all you've got to do. You've got no responsibility. You've got to Damn. carry nothing. You're not really answerable to anyone. You clip the tickets. That's it. Right? And what's so interesting, though, is he does that for a few years, and then he goes back to um, his city job. And it really reminded me of the... Because during the depths of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about how this will change us all forever. Everything will be changed forever changed. No one will go back to work in their offices. Uh, the tube will remain forever empty in London, you know. All these sort of things. And actually, sort of two and a half, you know, we're a year out of it now. Things pretty are pretty, normal, much, pretty much gone back to normal. Not 100%, but pretty much gone back to normal. And what, what, what Allport talks about a lot is all these people who had, they have all these dreams while they're serving, what they're going to do when they get back, the businesses they're going to set up and the new way of life they're going to embrace and all that. And they come back and actually there's sort of too much to be getting on with in post-war Britain in terms of, you know, how hard it is to get a house. Because, yep. um, you know, 200,000 houses have been destroyed and millions damaged. You know, so the housing stock in the country... Yeah, that's where the prefabs come in, isn't it? Exactly, because the housing housing stock's complete has been complete, totally disrupted. And, you know, it, and that's even in the wake of all the house building in the interwar years, you know, that, 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 that was done, you know, particularly in sort of um, metro land, you know, in London. It's just, it's just absolutely fascinating. And that, but, but it, it was really reminded. Some of it really reminded me of the pandemic. You know, this thing will change us forever. And then gradually, actually, people 
kind of returning to their returning mm. to the mean. Some people unable to. So some people who've lived this life of in, ridiculous adventure and they can't fit back into the into normal life, which is uh, um, on the live. Paddy cast, Main and Co. Isn't Paddy it? Paddy Main. What we talked about with Paddy Main on the live cast the other night. That this idea that your purpose has been removed. But then also other people who, who go, you know. I flew Spitfires. I've no desire to drive a car fast. This, I've had it all. I've done that. I've spent. I've spent that part of my personality. That's done. I've got none of that left in the bank. And all of that is just so interesting. Well, so, Jeff so, Wellham, all he wanted to do was sell a boat. Yeah. He just wanted to pot around, <laughs> sailing little dinghies. But there you go. You see, mm. and that—that's because rather than fly a plane under extreme rigorous test conditions and having to write everything down, log everything and be completely on top of it. You know, you can, you can see that bimbling around in a boat would be, would be, a, um, Brian Horrocks did that too. Horrocks, he took to sailing in later life. Oh, did he? That, that was his, that was his sort of, um, his uh, I completely get it. Cause you just, you, you're away from everything. You know, you've just you, the sea, the wind, the, yeah. you know. You and just, there's no telephone either. Um, cause, there's no telephone cause, and, yeah. and, and there aren't shells going off. And, you know, you're, you're just kind of, I, I totally, I can totally get it. Yeah. I totally, totally get it. But that, but, but that, the demobbed is a, it's a, it's a, I mean, we, 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 I mean, we should talk about all this uh, more at length and the, and the sort of, you know, the business of coming home, the business of, you know, it's not just the demob suit. It's the, you know, that that. I mean, you also have this thing that lots of women have become, you know, lots of couples who get married during the war. They then don't see each other for three years. Their war experiences yeah. change them completely. So the divorce rate goes up. But like... Would well, you know Melvin, Melvin Bragg's father came home and there was all sorts of trouble, wasn't there? Really? You know, because he had PTSD, you know, he clearly had yeah. PTSD or, you know, was traumatised by his experiences and stuff. And, and they found that very difficult. And I remember, I remember talking to um, um, my, my lovely fr- friend from Liverpool, Sam Bradshaw, who was in 6RTR. Yeah. You know, yeah. the guy who was wounded at City Reserve and then subsequently shot in the neck in, in Italy after recovering from that one. Mm. And he was amazing. And, you know, he, he said said that after he recovered from his – after he was – so he got shot in the neck in, in I don't know, autumn of 1944 in Italy. And, and he got home and he and he said he, he he just couldn't get over it because, you know, his little sister had been a little girl when he left was suddenly, you know, 18. You yeah. know, or, or, or you know, but yeah. she, or seventeen or whatever, and you know, and shapely and all these kind of things. But yeah. you know, she'd been thirteen when he'd left, uh, and his mother and his mother had gone completely grey. Yeah, and that, and you know, lots of buildings had gone, and there yeah. was no one around, and all his mates weren't there. Yeah, and he thought I, I, he just couldn't cope with it, so he rejoined. Yeah, yes, there's lots of that. Yeah, he rejoined and went back out because he was back. You know, he was he wasn't home on the python. He was he was home because he'd been wounded. Yeah. Um. But, but well, because the because the other thing is the is the what's interesting is the the demob scheme is all laid out and it's all very very fair and then the yes. Labour government goes hang on a minute we've got all these weird imperial commitments that we haven't quite sorted out yet yes and people aren't so it then becomes home. not quite so fair yeah and people aren't going home at the rate they wish they were I mean I mean stuff about families is so fascinating though that you know um, stories of of, of children that that suddenly this man you know they've been living with their mum for three years. They've been sleeping in the bed with this stuff about this kid who sleeps in her bed with in her mother's bed. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the dad turns up, and she's not allowed in bed with her mum anymore. And there's this bloke she doesn't know who's, oh. you know, uh, 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 and 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 how actually disruptive all that is. Also, you've got people coming back from the jungle. There's stuff about people coming back from the jungle who, you know, they don't use cutlery anymore. 
They throw that. They throw the bones in the fire. They <laughs> yeah. ch- chuck the tea in the fire and all that. They've got. They've, they've been. They've been completely sort of demannered by their experiences yes. uh, living living in the living on the land. You know, living in the open. And also, so, inevitably, your your attitudes to life are going to change, aren't they? You know, something. Oh, yeah. you, you know, because. Well, how could they so not? Pro- you know, if you're if you're back at home, you know, you're what you're worrying about. You know, how you're going to make ends meet, whether you can sort of, you know, whether your kids are fit and well and healthy and all the kind of normal stuff. But, but you know, if you've just been in the jungle fighting the Japanese for 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 two years or wh- whatever, you come back, you're, you're kind of thinking those things just aren't important compared to yeah, you know, what I've just been doing. And she's like, well, okay, you might have been very brave and you might have been out in the jungle a million miles away, but you know, I've I've kept the whole show on the road back here, and you. you just can see it, can't you? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, no one's prepared for this. No one, no one's prepared for. You know, they haven't learned those lessons from, from the first world war. The boys coming home from the first world war at all. Um, you know, they they have in certain ways. It's a bit like all these things. It's it's all progression. Yeah, it's a bit like the development of the airborne forces. They yeah. learn some lessons and not others. And it's interesting what they focus to learn on. You know, what they learn from the first world war is is that you can't promise a landfit for heroes, not give it. So hence you have the beverage report, and yeah. you know you've got welfare state and all the rest of it. But what they haven't thought about is it's a kind of mental side of things. You know, now yeah. we're we're you know we're we're so concerned with mental health, aren't we? And 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 well, making but- sure that. Uh, but we still fall short, though. I mean, it, it, of course, of course, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying it. But but you know, now it's absolutely part of the part of the everyday chat, and 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 rightly so. But but it's just it's just not on the radar. It's kind of you know, you're just expected to just work it out yourself. You know, yeah. Well, stiff up fact, a little and crack on. Fact, well, and what, what after the war, there are less there are less people who are regarded as psychological casualties, psychiatric and also casualties. Um, on the army's books, and the army are quite happy with that. They want that. They want the number yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, of course, kept down because they're, they're but, not. But also, it's decentralised. That's yeah. the other thing. So that you know, all these you know these squadrons and wings and ships, they have their associations and they get those up very very quickly. You know, regiments have their own association. Which is yeah. a it's a, like a welfare association, you know. There's a there's a chairperson, and 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 all the families donate money in, yeah. and the officers put in money, yeah. and and they you know the younger officers plead with their parents to kind of donate money, you know. And I, I remember I was just absolutely staggered by that with the Sherwood Rangers, and obviously there was lots of stuff that I never put in the book, um, because it just didn't didn't fit. But some yeah. of the stories post war were just oh my god, you know there was there was one. There was one um, widow of one of the great heroes of the of the regiment, you know, who's a sort of MM and bar. Yeah, who was killed just after they crossed the Rhine. So right at the, very, I think, literally on the first of April, nineteen forty five, and he'd been killed, and she'd been left with two kids, and the boy was, you know, really behind at school. Yeah, really, really behind, really, really struggling. So the welfare, the regimental welfare, paid for him to go to a prep school, in. Wow, you know, near, near Grantham, somewhere like that. Yeah, where's that? What 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 county is that in? Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Lincolnshire, Lincolnshire, isn't it? Mm. So they, they paid for him to go to school, and then there were all these letters from the headmaster of the prep school going, you know, Johnny's not really fitting in. You know, his 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 academic standards are so low that we can't can't help. You know, him. he he's so out of you know he's so out of touch of his peers. Yeah. Um, you know, we recommend that he leaves. Gosh, I mean, it's, it's brutal and it's utterly, utterly heartbreaking. God. You know, so, so, so Johnny's—it's not really—he wasn't called Johnny, but I won't, I won't say what yeah, his yeah. real name was. But, but, but John, Johnny's, 
Johnny's mother is struggling with the grief of losing her beloved husband, who's a total war hero. Yeah. And she's doing, you know, the letters are pathetic in the in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. are desperate. I don't know what to do with my son. You know, I, I can't help him. He, he misses a father figure, you know, all this kind of stuff. The school takes him on. Then the school kicks him out. Yeah. Oh, God, it was, you know, it's just awful. And then there was all the, you know, I mean, the legendary George Dring, you know, he felt, he felt very let down, you know, by the Regimental Association. Didn't feel he had really? the support that he had. Yeah, I mean, you know, and he'd been this totally fearless tank commander. Yeah, absolute legend, you know, and, yeah. then, and then would never go out at night. He didn't like the dark. God. After that, you know, he's a proper countryman. I mean, he, I mean, he'd grown up, you know, hunting and laying traps and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I mean, suddenly just, he just couldn't do it anymore. It's interesting, though, because class obviously comes into this too, because if, I mean, one of the things um, that, that uh, uh, Alan also writes about is, you know, if you're an officer in the sort of latest phase of the war where you're like a working class kid or a grammar school kid who's been, who's been made, made, a, made a subaltern, you then have to go back to... Where you you know it's, it's to being working the, class or whatever back to being working class, and a lot of those people felt they were viewed with great suspicion and great hostility for people because they've got they'd got above their station, and that people's people's you know uh, that the way the the class system was rigid in the forties in a way that we we you know that it's it's obviously plainly still exists now but but you know if you 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 knew your place and you remained in your station and he writes you know these people there's a really great story of two blokes who meet in a pub and they they're both officers you know who've got through wasby and all that sort of stuff and they're working class lads so there's and they recognize each other and they and they they have to decide which lingo to talk in do they talk in their working class language or do they end up calling each other old boy and um Talking, talking like that, and they they opt for the latter. So there's uh, what are you up to? Any any jolly japes at the moment, old boy? And they talk like officers, the way officers spoke, um, so that they can communicate with each other rather than in their in their working class language, you know, that they would have used otherwise. Which, I, and you just think all of these things that like yeah, uh, yes, 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 absolutely the, 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 aspects and uh, aspects and sort of um, uh, you know permutations of how British society is playing itself out. Post-war, as a result of the war, you know, where everyone's been tossed in together and jumbled up together, you know, and uh, uh, yes, and, and the- I suppose one of the one of the issues, is, of course, is, is is that you've got you've you've got class barriers taking a massive, you know, being broken down during yep. the war, yeah, and then in a way, as a sort of uh, an almost sort of knee-jerk defence mechanism by the upper classes and, and the kind of middle yep. classes, there's then a you know, so it's one step forward and two steps back again, yes, isn't it? A proper attempt to reassert, you know, and everyone's reasserting them it themselves as well. It's not like, it's not like the, the you know, it, people know their place. So it's not like the, the, it's being led from the top. This it's a thing that's happening all the way across society where people, you know, and the other, the other really fascinating thing is obviously at the end of the war, there's a, there's there's hundreds of thousands of people who have had technical education, right? Who have been trained as mechanics? Have been trained uh, and basically, are far and now more have skills. Are, and were far, and so the British workforce is far more skilled than it was in 1939 in terms right. of what people are capable of. You know, working, working and repairing radios, fixing vehicles. You know, building, fabricating, all sorts of stuff. Yep. You know, and and it's and it's hundreds of thousands of people, and the British workplace just has can't accommodate them. Cannot the British industrial workplace? You know, uh, uh, 
can't in, can't find jobs for the ball. So you've got people who are brilliant with radios who, 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 who you know, they end up having to drive lorries and stuff because yeah. there's there's nothing for them to do. And this and it's you know what the, the contrast, of course, I mean, well, you know, is that the GI Bill happens in the US, where basically if you're a if you if you've served, you get a welfare state and an education geared to you. No one else yep. does, but the but if you served, you do, and that's. Yep. Millions and millions of people. Whereas in the, you know, the the deal the deal in the UK is that the country gets a welfare state, not the serviceman, that everyone gets it. Yeah. You know, whereas the in America it's that thing of well, thank you for your service, and you can go to university now. And yeah, what's yeah, interesting yeah. is that is that you don't get the university boom in Britain until ten years after the war, until into the late fifties, which hmm. is when which is when all these people with skills. You know, if they'd been the universities from the late 50s and the late 40s, you maybe would have been able to do something with this skilled, you know, uh, technical yeah, workforce. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's just fascinating. It's just, just so fascinating. And that, but there's so many the times in the war, aren't there, where, where, where there's so many instances in the war where, where people are just thinking, hell, the future consequences this is all about now. You yes. know, it's the same with, with, with introducing vast amounts of, 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 of chemical fertilizer into the land. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still paying for that, that yeah, price. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. To this well, day, I mean, you know, we, we don't worry about it now. What we need now is more food, yeah, and and just do whatever it takes. You know, tear up the tear up the downlands. You know, put more fertilizer down. Don't care. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter how mechanized, how industrialized, how chemicalized farming becomes. Yeah, it's the now that matters. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter that, that that you know after the war we're going to have a kind of you know social um, upheaval. The point is, we need more officers, so you've yeah. got to get them from somehow. So get them from wherever. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah get them to Wasby and all the rest of it. But but yeah, but yeah. it's it's worry about the consequences later, and and you see that in so many. Well, I mean, you, so many, many walks of, of aspects of 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 day to day life. Well, top to bottom. I mean, many would argue that's you know the atom bomb right there. You know, we need a bomb right now to solve this problem right now, and. You know the fact that it will Let's create, about it later. create eighty years of extreme complications. Whatever doesn't matter. Got to get this done. Um, but, it, but 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 one always you know from a government point of view and, and from a national point of view, you, you know you're always going to go go with what is most important in the present, aren't you? I mean, you, you see this even you, you could see this over the summer, couldn't you? Where suddenly there was, you know this sort of looming financial crisis, and everyone's going, "Oh, we don't need to worry about the environment anymore because." You know, climate change. You know, obviously it's really bad, but let's put it on hold because we've got a, yeah. we've got a more pressing crisis to worry yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's it's actually not very dissimilar. Yeah. But but the but the the long term consequences of, of those decision makings, the, the 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 now decisions, have very long term reaches. Well, I don't mean, they? In, uh, current inflation is surely something to do with you know underwriting the economy for two years with furlough. Of course. You know, yeah. Of course yeah. It is. Because the money yep. had to come from somewhere, you know. Blah blah blah. I mean, it's you know, it's fascinating. I mean, I, really I, I, fascinating. The, the, well, I've got this book. I'm going to have. I'm yeah, going to have a look at have, it. You know, and actually, I've, 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 my, my copy of um, with the jocks is uh, was a paperback, and it's completely disintegrated. So I've, I've treated. I've just treated myself to a hardback first edition. Oh, oh, very nice. I, maybe I should. Yeah. I should buy one of those. Actually, uh, I got it for six quid, so it wasn't like a massive investment. Oh, that's good. Because the, the paperback I've, I've I've got is not is not is not brilliant either. Um, uh, it's one of those sort of cracking book. spines, you know, where yeah, kind yeah. of pages all fall out, and yeah, I yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. I, that really bugs me. I don't like and that. It's got, and it's got lots and lots of pages. I mean, it's a big, big fat book. Big time, big time. Um, uh, well, well uh, done. Congratulations on getting to getting to the end of eight or B with the jocks. <laughs> well, Two I, I know what I'm going to. I think I know what I'm going to read <laughs> next, though. I think I know what I'm going to read next. 
Oh, what are you going to read next? Um, Ian Wellstead's book about Houndsworth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to get that. Oh, I've just, you know, I've got so much to read. I can't bear it. I've literally, I'm just, I'm swimming in Italy. I mean, this this constitutes... I just... I mean, the, 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 it's terrible, right, what happens to him. So, because I, 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 I did my usual thing of having a look at the end as well as the beginning and the middle. <laughs> do you um, do that? Yeah, of course I do. Well, 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 because this is, you know, it's a, it's because uh, it, it's a personal account. But um, he, he, he goes to France. He fights in France. He does all this Houndsworth stuff. It's absolutely amazing. You know, they're like they're count that they they they're counting German movement and all that sort of stuff and the, the, relaying the information. And they're doing raids with jeeps and they're dealing with the Mackie. And when he gets home, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Next day, when Margot did arrive, it was to tell me she was in love with someone else and wanted a divorce. I ought to have remained in the Moor van after all. So he wow. How do you spell his surname? Ian what? Um, uh, Wellstead. Oh, uh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With no. SAS with the Mackie in action with the French Resistance, and he wrote this in. Yes, he wrote he wrote it down in December forty four. So it, it's sort of reasonable enough. And, and oh, and he's also wrote with the SS uh, across the Rhine into the heart of Hitler's Third Reich. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Okay, so you you haven't you haven't come across this trilogy, have you? No. Ian no. W. Toll. He's written three, and the second one is the Conquering Tide, which is the Pacific Islands from nineteen forty two to forty four. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. Is it? Yeah, it's just magisterial. I think is the right, right, okay. is the right the adjective for this, okay. and it's really, really fascinating. So I've been, I've just been um, rereading that um, about because that one includes all of the Guadalcanal stuff. But but yeah. and I suppose he's coming at it from a, from very much from a naval point of view. But um, yeah, I mean, God, all that stuff on Saipan and Philippine Sea is just incredible. But I think that's for for another pod, another possibly. time. Well, it, well, another in which time. case. Let's uh, say farewell. Let's knock this on the head. Knock this on the head. We'll see you all very soon. Thanks very much for listening. On to cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.